Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson, and I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself when I came up earlier. If you have a scripture or a Bible or a device with the Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel, so I invite you to turn there. We started a series called Beyond, and we're looking beyond the New Year's resolutions, beyond the social media, the filters that we put on our problems, beyond the successes of our life, and today, beyond our routines. We introduced some characters a couple weeks ago called Samuel, I guess Samuel's not born yet, but his father, Elkanah, a woman named Hannah, a priest named Eli, and another woman named Penaniah. And it said in 1 Samuel that Elkanah, Penaniah, and Hannah went up to the temple year after year to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And it says that year after year, this went on. And Hannah was married to Elkanah, but because she couldn't have children, Elkanah had to marry someone else so that he could have descendants and so he could have a 401k, so that he could have someone to give his land to. This is how they produced security and, and kept their family line going. So this is the situation. And year after year, it says in verse 7, year after year, Hannah went up to the house of the Lord and her rival provoked her year after year, until she wept and would not eat. And this is a huge festival. This festival that would happen in Shiloh was the one where they would celebrate God Almighty as the one who rescued them from Egypt, the one who protected them through the wilderness, and the one who would bring them and did bring them into the promised land. This was a giant party. Don't think boring church service. Don't think museum of drudgery. Think giant party, okay? We're going to pick the story up in verse 9. It says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, which is ironic because Hannah wasn't eating and drinking, Hannah stood up. Now Eli was the priest sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made this vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to you, for the, give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled and I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away. She went on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And early in the morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. This is kind of a juicy story, not just because of the end, but because of all the different things going on. And what's amazing to me is this is a 3,000-year-old story about an ordinary family. You could maybe say that, that Hannah was a marginalized person. She was a minority in the sense that 
it was, it was just common that women could have children and because she couldn't, she was sort of an outcast. But it's an ordinary family in their routine doing their rituals year after year after year. There's a, there's a big game that's coming up soon that like happens every year at the beginning of February and there's you know like 75,000 chicken wings eaten. I'm sure I got that number wrong. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that. There's, there's Americans don't call it soccer. Anyway, year after year, there's these rituals that still happen, even after 3,000 years. And we have no idea how many years Hannah has gone to the temple, how many years she has wept and not eaten. It says in the verses before this that Penn and I had many children, So we get the sense, especially since I think Hannah, she's listed first, I think Elkina married her first, that this has been years and years and years and years of the same thing. Of the same thing over and over. It kind of makes me wonder, like, why did she go? If this was such a miserable experience for her, did she do it out of duty? Did she do it to keep peace in her marriage? Did she do it because it was simply her religious routine? We don't know. We just know she went. See, routines are these repeated rituals that become so ingrained in our life, we do them without thinking. So, everybody can play, everybody can ask this question, you can shout out an answer if you want. Um, What are some things that you do so often that you pretty much do them without thinking? Sleep, that's good. Eat, driving. I'm waiting for someone to say texting because then I'll put them together and see if anyone does that. Flossing. I have to kind of think about that. Like, wah, wah. We love you, person who said flossing. Everybody's welcome, even the flossers. What else do you do so often that you almost don't even think about it? put the filter in, you put the grounds in, push the button, then you wake up. What? Coffee. Coffee. Work. Yep. Certain things that you got to do every time you go to work, right? Yep. Some of us get dressed and don't think about it. Others of us get dressed thinking about it, and we think they didn't think about it, but, you know. I was going to say brushing my teeth. It's like, I go up here, then I go over here, and just kind of, that's what I do. Every time I do it, I don't really think about it. I think so often, well, I grew up in a church that I'm really thankful for, but we did the same things week after week. And so some of the times I didn't even think about it. This is just what we did, so I just did it. I think we drive to many of the same places that sometimes we don't even think about where we drive just because we know that we go from here to here and it's always the same. And they've actually done studies on if you do this, your brain, like the pathways in your brain start to go get smaller and smaller if you go the same way over and over and don't think about it. I think there's so many times in our lives that we go to the same places, we sit in the same seats, we go to the same meetings, we have the same conversations, we talk about the same problems, and we do this day after day and week after week and month after month. And, and in every area of our lives, there are certain rhythms and routines that are good, 
that we should do. They increase our productivity, they make sure things get done, but they're also ridiculously easy to become ruts in our lives. See, these ruts are these places where we just stop thinking about it. It becomes a little cage that stops us from living this outrageous, courageous, faith-filled life. It can happen in our work. It can happen in our home. And it can happen with our faith. And when it does, then our view of God shrinks. Our prayers become gutless and vague. And our life becomes stagnant. I read a quote that said, a a rut is just a grave with open ends. And there is a little bit of truth in that. And I think Hannah is in a rut. I think she's so distressed and depressed that she wouldn't eat at a festival where there's a giant party, where the wine is flowing and the salsa and chips never end. Maybe, salsa and chips. She cried often and uncontrollably. But one day, one day, Hannah stood up. We can't miss that. One day, year after year after year, festival after festival after festival, it was a miserable experience for her. In verse nine, it says, Hannah stood up. One day, she was done with defeat. One day, she'd had enough pain and enough problems pushed at her so hard that she finally pushed back. One day, she stood up and decided she wasn't gonna wait until she felt better. She wasn't gonna wait until she got better, until she cleaned up. I'm amazed at how many people that are far from God think, I've gotta get my act together before I come to God because then he'll accept me. No, you just come all broken and miserable. That's what Hannah did. We know she's unhappy. We, th- we know she's broken. She might be resentful. She might be bitter. We, we don't know those emotions, but what we know is she stood up. She was done being defeated. I think the worst thing about a rut is we start to believe these things that we experience, the problems and the pain that happen in our life that happen so often are just gonna keep happening to us. Well, I guess this is my normal. I can't change it. This is how it is. And it just leads to hopelessness. Or we blame others and we get bitter or we blame God and it leads to life as a victim. You can't stand up after that. But but in every area, other area of our life, like think about the physical areas of our lives. We have resistance in our life, and it's a good thing. If you don't have resistance in running, you won't get any better. If you don't have resistance in weightlifting, you won't get any stronger. They even say if you don't have resistance in your brain, in brain training, you won't get any smarter. See, resistance with repetition builds strength. That's just kind of a scientific, physical observation. Is it possible, is it possible that God allows problems and pain and adversity in our life to build up real faith? I mean, a follower of Jesus that I admire because he makes so many mistakes. Peter writes a couple of letters to people who are trying to live like Jesus, and Peter says this. Peter says, you know what? Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials of many kinds for a little while. 
Because these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more valuable than gold. And when you go through this, when your faith remains strong, when you go through the trials, it will bring praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I think God does allow problems and pain and adversity in our lives to build up our faith and get us out of the ruts. There's nothing like a good crisis to wake us up and see where we're at. Let's not waste it. It's not trying to belittle anyone's crisis, and it's not trying to belittle your problems or your pain. It's just saying the stories and the scriptures are filled with people who go through adversity and don't give up. So I see three questions that kind of rise up in this passage that are, that are tests, if you will, that are, that are little ways you can decide, am I living just this routine faith or am I living this faith beyond, this faith that's outrageous and courageous? And the first question is this, what do you think it means to meet God? What does it mean to meet God? Because Hannah doesn't just stand up. Hannah stands up and runs to the temple, runs to this sanctuary, runs to this, I mean, scripture says the Lord's house. I mean, you could use the word palace here, but she runs to this place because she's gonna meet God. Now, in Hebrew, there's no word for temple or tabernacle, so they, your Bible might use palace, mine used house. It's, it simply uses house because it's the place where someone lives or dwells, and Hannah believes that she is going to meet God. Like, she uses this expression that means, I'm gonna see God, I'm gonna go to his house, and I'm gonna knock on his door, and I'm gonna tell him what I need, and I'm gonna see him. The Bible speaks of these Old Testament festivals and parties and rituals where they are to appear before God, when you go to a sacred space, do you believe that God is there? Do you believe he's here? That he hears you? That he's listening? That he cares? I was thinking about this idea and and I think it's just, again, it's humorous because the priest is standing at the doorway because, again, it's not a boring church service. It's a giant party for like seven days. The people get a little bit excited in their worship of God, and the wine starts flowing, and sometimes some of the people get drunk. So Eli stands at the door to make sure they don't go appear before God in this I guess we'll just call it an unholy or unsacred state because there could be bad things that happen. So he's kind of protecting the people. He's at the door. The funny thing is his sons, as you read later in the story, are actually doing wicked things in the temple like they don't believe God is there. Okay, so if you missed that, question for you if you're a teenager or think like a teenager. And if you're not, just go back. All right, teenagers, hypothetically... If you are gonna do something that you think your parents aren't gonna approve of, are you gonna do it when they're home or not home? <laughs> parents, put your muffs on. Come on now. Not home, right? Like, yes. 
right? Yeah, don't try it when they're home. Just dumb. Trust me. We'll talk after. (sighs) Eli's sons must not believe that God is home by the way they act in the story. And so it's in chapters two and three if you want to read about it. Hannah believes that God is home. It's like going over to someone's house. I realize that some of us have cool video doorbells and others of us screen all our phone calls because we get so many telemarketing calls. But remember in the days where you went to someone's house and the only way you knew they were home is if you banged on the door and yelled through the wall? And if it was a good friend, a great friend, and you knew they were home, didn't it change the way you addressed them and the way you spoke? I think it does. This is how Hannah is talking. She doesn't just stand up. She meets God and she pleads with God because she believes he's home. She's like a child that runs to their parent saying, Daddy, will you do something about this situation? And I'm sorry, I just don't think she would meet with God that way if she thought he was simply a concept and far away. If you want to have an outrageous, courageous faith, What do you believe about meeting God? The second question is, what does it mean to plead with God? What do you think it means to plead with God? If God is home, if this is his house and he's present, even if you can't physically see him, you can spiritually sense him, then then I think it changes our prayers and it changed Hannah's prayers because she pleads and speaks and four times, six if you count the pouring out the soul part, she is praying to the Lord. She is specifically and boldly asking for something that ironically is not just for her. If you do this for me, God, I will give this back. It's not bargaining, but it is pleading. It's specifically and boldly saying to God, this is where I'm at, this is how much it's awful, would you please do this, God? And I will do this. I don't think it's that selfish. But she pleads and pleads and pleads. And she addresses God with this title, Lord Almighty, which I just skipped over several, several times, but it's the same title that they use for God at this festival. Sometimes it's written in as Yahweh armies, like the Lord God Almighty of the host of his army, like the God of all goodness and all power, who they celebrate for rescuing them from slavery and freeing them and protecting them in the wilderness and bringing them into the promised land. She's like, that God could see me and actually do those same things in my life. She could rescue me from this situation with this awful rival wife who keeps provoking me and it just stinks. It could, he could protect me through a pregnancy and he could bring me into the promised land, which would be vindication through a son that I will give back to you, God. That's the whole razor thing for his life. That he won't be for me, that he'll be for us. Come back next week, we'll talk more about what that part means. But she pleads with God. So question for you. Do you ever find it hard to boldly and specifically ask God for what you want or what you need?
If I'm honest, I do. I pray almost specific prayers. God, would you please heal this person in your way? God, would you bring this person to know you in a deep way if it's your will? Am I giving God an out? Like God needs an out. Ask him for what I want. Let him be the one to make his name glorious. I mean, the Bible says over and over, you have not because you ask not. That's for me. If it's for you too, great, we'll share in it. But over and over, Jesus says, here's how you address God. You call him our father. He's a good God who gives good gifts to his children who ask. What do you need to ask him for? Because he loves you and he knows you probably need it anyway. That's what I think it means to plead with God. The last question really comes from this crucial moment in the story where Hannah interacts with God of what does it mean to believe this God? What does it mean to believe this God? After she defends herself to the priest who can't tell the difference between a righteous woman's prayers or a drunk woman, he says, go in peace. Now, I grabbed a more literal translation. See if you can catch the difference between when I read it at the beginning. He says, go in peace and the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Go in peace and the God of Israel grant you what you request of him. Anyone notice the difference between that and what I read earlier? It's a really subtle difference that I think makes all the difference in the world. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Go in peace and the God of Israel grant you what you request of him. The word may is not in the original language. Do you think about what that means? May the God of Israel grant you the request. What do you think of? Maybe. May the God of Israel do this, if he feels like it. May you have peace and prosperity, if it works out. No. Go in peace, that's this wholeness, fullness, prosperity, restoration, filling of your life, not just absence of conflict. And the God of Israel, grant you what you've asked of him. Not maybe, not may the God of Israel, no, the God of Israel grant you the request. I think that's what it means to believe this God, that he will do what he says, that we can trust him, that when he says that he will bless, he will bless. That it may not look the way we want it to look, that it may not mean the American dream, but it will mean God's glory and goodness in your life. We had this moment with this disciple groups that we've been doing for the last four months, and um, if you haven't heard about it, we'll come to next week, we'll tell you more about it, but it has just been the most amazing, life-changing spiritual formation and spiritual multiplication of what does it mean to bring goodness to others from discerning where God is working in your life, and we had a moment with some other scripture somewhere else, and we saw this thing of may the Lord bless you. May the God of Israel do this versus the Lord 
grant this to you. There's no maybe. If you are worried or stumbling over a maybe today, know that God is at work. If you want this courageous, outrageous faith, then you think about what it means to meet God, that he is here, that he does change, that he is at work. That when you plead with God, you can boldly and specifically ask for what you need, and especially if it is not focused on your own desires, but on bringing good to more than just yourself, to others, then God is absolutely, absolutely deeply cares and concerned about that. And that when you believe him, that he will speak what he says he'll do, that you will find peace. Hannah goes away as if everything's changed. And think about it. Nothing has changed. At this point in the story, it says the Lord remembers her. There's no, there's no child. There's nothing to show for it. Or is there? I think the fact that she doesn't, she stops crying, that she starts eating, that her face is no longer downcast, which in Hebrew means your eyes are no longer on yourself. She is able to look up and worship God. That spiritually, emotionally, relationally, her life has been restored. Her being has changed. The only thing left is that physical piece of bringing that good out, but it's bringing good out in so many other ways already, and that's the type of God we serve, and that's who he is, and that's what he wants to do in your life, and that's why we started restoration, because God is always restoring every part of a person, and he does it together. What do you need to boldly and specifically ask God for? In your worship folder, there's a card that says, I will pray this outrageous faith. We're gonna show a little video clip of how it worked out in someone else's life. Very different from Hannah, but just to give you an example of somebody else who's bringing good out of a situation that was not so good. And then I'm gonna come up, Van's gonna come up, and we're gonna invite you to write a bold, specific prayer. So take a look at uh, Benjamin Watson from the New Orleans Saints, a believer and a man who had to go through some hard times, but what it means to keep believing. It's amazing how God has his own purposes and his own timing. And sometimes it's different than what our timing is. I always wanted to play football, clearly, but I always wanted to play wide receiver. I grew a little bigger than a wide receiver, so I ended up playing tight end. But as a tight end, you're an offensive player. You want to score touchdowns. You want to be known for, you know, the, the, the footballs, the passes you catch. And going through college, going through the NFL, I mean, we're talking about 20 years worth of work to be known as one of the great at your position. That's, that's what every player wants. It was tough for me because as an athlete, you want your name in lights. 
you know, you want your name to be the one they call on Sunday, scoring the winning touchdown. You want to read about yourself in the paper. And then it's funny how, as hard as that was to be in that position, my wife kept telling me, Benjamin, you be faithful in what God has given you. God had me in that position at that place in New Orleans at that time. It wasn't an accident. And you know what? I'm going to serve him right now, even though my football career isn't really going how I want it to go. He has me in this position, maybe for things outside of football. Maybe there's guys that are going to get saved because I'm in this locker room and they never heard the gospel. So I, I went about it for two years doing that. And then the funny thing is, in 2014, I write this blog post about Ferguson and about what happened. Um, about my anger and my frustration, about seeing these things between police officers and, and men and black men on TV. And, and there was so much going on that, that summer. And I put it out there and it goes viral. I spent 20 years of my life trying to play football and I'm known for a tackle on really defense because it was an interception and a Facebook post. And I'm like, guys got jokes, but that's how he does. He can elevate your name uh, however he wants to do it, or he can have nobody hear about you however he wants to do it. And you realize that it's not because of anything I did, it's because he wanted to elevate me at this time. Um, he wanted people to know something that I wrote or something that I did at this time. And it's amazing his timing because if it would have happened any other way, my pride might have kicked in and I might have thought it was all about me. All about, all about because I was doing so well on the fields, why people know. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was him. And he just chose to do it at that time. And the whole thing turns into a book, Under Our Skin, Getting Real About Race, Getting Free from the Fear of the Frustrations That Divide Us. The Facebook post grows legs, and next thing I know, a publisher is calling me about wanting to do a book based on the Facebook post. So the book really follows the sequence of the Facebook post, follows my emotions about being angry, about being sad, about being sympathetic, about being introspective, about being um, hopeless and hopeful, and ultimately being encouraged because the gospel gives all mankind hope. When we look at all these that's going on in our country and our world, the gospel is the equalizer that promotes unity. And so that's where our encouragement can really lie. Our job is to be ambassadors for Christ, wherever you are wherever you talk to, we all have a sphere of influence. We never know what God is gonna use with our obedience. And if nobody hears about what you do, your job is to still be obedient to what he has for you to do. As the band comes up, the cool thing is Benjamin is going to be a video host for us in two weeks for this thing that we call Football Sunday that we partner with the Increase on, and it's got three or four different little video vignettes of testimonies of professional athletes who've overcome the battles and the struggles in their life and how God has been faithful, how Jesus has done it. It's an amazing amazing sequence to this, not only this series, but what Pastor Greg shared last week about choosing the hard road. 
that, that is the harder one, but is the one that leads to life, that it's so easy for us to drift over to comfort. But God has you where you are, when you are, for a purpose. He knows you, and he wants to bring good out of that situation. Whether you can relate to Hannah, or you can relate to Benjamin, or you just know that God is here, that he hears you today and that you know him, and that he is just calling you to be faithful. Even if you don't know where the end is, you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. And if you don't know him, then that you would say yes to him. That he does want to give you life, that he has always loved you. From the moment you were created, through every mistake, through every success, he has been there. That he sees purpose, and hope and truth, even where you might not. And if you come to him, he does give not only eternal life, but joy, purpose, goodness, and an unending, unshakable hope. So would you take out that card? And during this song, would you be so bold as to write down a prayer? Maybe it's a prayer like Hannah that you've thought so many times, but you've never actually said out loud. We're not going to post them on social media, but we're going to bring them up as an act of obedience, as a sacred community to say, God, we trust you. We believe that you're at work. We will write on the card and bring it up during the song. Matt will let you know. Thank you, God, for how you're always at work. Even when we don't see it, give us belief, even when we're struggling with our belief.